great success story of 96. Former coffee gopher. God, yeah. It's now lead the show in the big time. You are a piece of fucking shit. Scorpio lying in a prone position on that table. Not the place to be. Sabu can barely stand. But every fan here in the jam-packed sold-out ECW arena is on their feet. The chair's too far away. Oh, my God, he's dead. No, 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 Joey Styles. You're not running this interview. I am. Brian Hello, my name is Bob Bamber. Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to February of 1996, Volume 3 of this month's show. Volume 1 is the WCW show looking at Super Raw. Volume 2 is the WWF show looking at In Your House 6. We're here to discuss, amongst other things, ECW Cyberslam. I'm being joined firstly by Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. Evening, Bob. And Wayne Lithgow. Hello, Bob. Uh, that's medically off the news. Uh, we start with Brian Pillman showed up at ECW Cyberslam, confirming that he had been quote-unquote fired by WCW in what, as it turns out, is a very elaborate work. Well, we've covered the specifics in Volume 1 of this month's show on the WCW end, but the latest chapter of the story ended up being one of the most memorable segments ECW have ever done. Pillman interrupted Joey Styles for saying Eric Bischoff, or should that be Jerkoff, calling the ECW fans smart marks and generally partaking in a swear word laden promo that we will hear in full later in the show. Pillman would eventually threaten to take his Johnson out before pissing on the ECW match. This caused Paul Heyman, Todd Gordon and Shane Douglas to come out and say this wasn't part of the deal. Much more on this later. Bum Bum Bigelow debuted at the New York TV taping essentially replacing the big man spot in the feud with Taz that was meant for 911. Bigelow is actually still under contract with the WWF. He and a number of other performers have been given a conditional release, allowing them to work anywhere apart from WCW while they let their contract run out. ECW, of all promotions, was the first to ban blood in wrestling following the story of boxer Tommy Morrison testing positive for HIV. The story, it is thought, will lead some state athletic commissions to consider including much more stringent tests in boxing. How it applies to ECW seems more a move of self-preservation, believing they could end up being shut down. The announcement by Morrison came just four days after WCW Super Bowl. The angle after the Ric Flair-Randy Savage match was shot entirely at uh, on a wide angle due to flare bleeding. 911 is no longer an ECW, having either been fired or simply quit, depending on which stories you believe. It said that he didn't want to put Taz or Sabu over. ECW is also opening up a wrestling school called the House of Hardcore, perhaps as early as next month to be run by Taz and Perry Saturn. WCW are reportedly applying pressure on Conan, wanting to take talent like Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrero to appear for them and not ECW. 
ECW, off the back of an internet convention, held their CyberSlam live event where Pillman re-debuted. Elsewhere on the card was an absolutely manic 30-minute time limit draw between Sabu and Two Colt Scorpio. Shane Douglas and Cactus Jack partook in a memorable post-match angle where Douglas struck Jack over the head with a chair multiple times after having handcuffed him. Raven also retained his title against Sandman and the team of Francine and the Pitbulls defeated Stevie Richards and the Eliminators. I'm trying to open a shoot! ECW Hardcore TV on February the 6th. We're in Queens, New York. Uh, it's Juventud Guerrera against Rey Mysterio Jr. There is a lovely opening exchange. Mysterio tops it off with a lovely whippy arm bar. And Guerrero returns the favour. The pair exchange slaps. They roll over. Then simultaneously bridge on their heads with their legs interlinked in almost kind of an X shape. 
They exchange slaps in a highly impressive exchange. We then get some high-paced action with Mysterio hitting a flying Hurricane Rana off the top turnbuckle, taking Guerrero off of the apron to the floor. Mysterio hits a high-paced head scissors takedown, then into a springboard Hurricane Rana, then into a somersault dive to the outside. The crowd chant, EC dub, EC dub. Mysterio wraps a chair around Guerrero's head, then rounds him off two ring posts. Guerrero hits a lovely sit-out powerbomb for a two. Mysterio hits a lovely Hurricane Rana for a two. Mysterio jumps onto Guerrero's shoulders, spins around and hits another Hurricane Rana. Guerrero sets for a razor's edge from the second rope. Mysterio catches him with a reverse Hurricane Rana while coming through the air and pins Guerrero, retaining his AAA welterweight championship. Chris, what did you think of this? This was an amazing luchador match um i'm getting really impressed with how Rey mysterio is doing stuff towards the hardcore side as well um like how he was using the chair how he was doing the hurricane runner to the outside off the top rope um he he's very much sort of still doing what he's best at but doing it with a sort of extreme edge um this is the first time I've seen this Hubertude Guerrero fella, and he is very much of the same ilk. Um, again, another one of these guys that is so, so fast and so, so crisp with everything he does. Um, obviously, I want them to stay in ECW, but I can see them getting sort of moved on, as you said in the news, with WCW sniffing around to take them over there. Why? Yeah, I thought it was a, a really impressive opener. Um, the the kind of opener that you'd probably find on a you know an opener for uh, for a pay per view. It was uh, you know it was that that good and, and had that much quality flowing through it. Um, you know some really impressive spots in there. And, and like Chris said, you know I've, I've not really seen much of uh, of this Guerrero fellow. Well, not none of him before actually. And uh, you know I thought they you know they really they, they really blended well together. They, you know they both. Uh, um, you know, mesh well and, 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 as I said, you know, blended re- really well and some of the, some of the moves that was, um, that was coming off was, was really impressive. I, you know, I thought it was really, really great opener for, uh, for, for just being on a standard TV show. Wait, um, I know you've never done an ECW show with us before. Um, I know you've seen some bits last year, particularly in preparation for, uh, our interview review show, but how much ECW have you seen up until this point? Not an awful lot, in all honesty. It's probably more the the necessary bits that I've needed to see, or some, you know, some some standout moments like, you know, obviously uh, Al Snow and Benoit and Eddie Eddie and Dean. But uh, yeah, I've not seen a, a, a whole lot. Yeah, also it'll be interesting as we as we go through the show how your kind of uh, early experience of ECW come on. But yeah, this was a tremendous match. Um, it's the kind of style that. You know, I say this a few times and I don't want to belabor a point for people who, who listen to a lot of these shows, but not the kind of style that I necessarily am all that enamoured with. Um, and to a point, that's still true. But equally, there's only so far you can say, well, this isn't very realistic when you're just blown away by the athleticism. Um, and and that, that bit where they kind of... As I say, I hope I, yeah, you, you'll, you'll watch it, you'll, you'll get an impression of how difficult it is to describe. They both end up bridging on, on their own heads with their legs interlinked and they, it kind of forms this X shape. 
I've never seen that before, and that looks, I mean, you know, not, not that that was perhaps the most impressive spot, but certainly one of the most memorable. Um, we get, you know, and, and there is the usual problem with a ludicrous amount of no selling throughout the match, but that, to a large extent, is the style. If you're gonna watch it, you kinda of just gotta go, okay, we're gonna to to treat it slightly differently, fair enough. And Chris, that finish, um, that was, that was something else. Yeah, um, Obviously, we've seen Ray using Hurricane Runners a lot for winning the matches and stuff, but this one was sort of so good. It was just so snappy and quick, and it was just like... It it was probably the best match that I've seen Ray in that hasn't involved uh, psychosis against him. Um, just so, so good. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we can say with a, a good degree of certainty, this is the kind of match that is getting WCW interested in these kind of guys. I think we can say that. Um, we move on. Cactus Jack cuts the promo backstage with Mikey Whipwreck. He's got a Mr. Potato Head toy from the Toy Story film. He takes off one of the ears and says you can't wear any sunglasses because he's hardcore. Cactus wants Mikey to come with him to the WWF. He can win the tag titles in the World Wrestling Federation. Mikey walks off and Cactus wants to know what he's going to tell Vince. Mikey and Cactus are out with Raven defending their tag titles against the Eliminators. Jack isn't happy with how Mikey's going about the match. He grabs the mic and says he wants to defend the titles just like he won them, all by himself. Jack ends up pulling Mikey off an armbar. Sutton follows up with a nice superkick. Cronus then busts out a lovely handspring back elbow, very impressive for a guy of his size. Cactus Jack grabs a glass bottle, clearly a stunt one, given how easy it breaks it over the ring post. He, <clears throat> he goes to attack Saturn with it, but Mikey doesn't want him to. Mikey dropped Cactus, drop kicks Cactus Jack for his troubles. Mikey then eats a total elimination, and the Eliminators win the match and the tag team titles. Raven goes after Mikey after the match, and then Cactus attacks Raven. Cactus then attacks Mikey. Cactus hits his DDT onto Mikey onto a chair. The Eliminators watch the whole exchange shut down at a table at ringside. After the break, Francine comes out. She's still wearing a neck brace from the attack last month. She says after she took total elimination, she knew that they were the better tag the whole thing ends up being a ruse, a distraction. The Pitbulls run out and attack them. Cronus eats a superbomb and Francine grabs some scissors and takes them to Saturn's hair. Dreamer cuts a promo, dripping candle wax on his arm. We finish with the usual ECW montage. Cactus says he's promised Vincent Man Mikey Whipwreck and he's going to make him look a liar. We open up February the 13th with Perry, Shat and Sh- Perry Saturn shaving off the rest of his hair. We open up as we open up House Party with Bill Alfonso cutting off Joey Styles doing the in-ring introductions. Alfonso says 911 isn't coming, but out comes Rey Mysterio. Taz thinks everyone is afraid of him, but Rey Mysterio Jr. isn't. Mysterio spin kicks Alfonso. He and Taz then go at it. A springboard Hurricane Rana sees Taz nearly land on his head. Taz then hits a belly-to-belly. Mysterio another Hurricane Rana. Taz responds with a T-bone suplex. JT Smith comes out and does some piss-weak looking offense on the down Mysterio. Hack Myers fights him off. Mysterio gets helped to the back and Joey says they're going to start over. I'll take a breath. This whole segment, this whole thing I'm going to read is just one long shot. About 20 minutes. We carry on. This time Joey's interrupted by a woman who gets a loud you sold out chant. She asks if Joey really thinks this is the only place you'll see action like this. Why not tune in on Monday nights? Woman says she plans on sticking around, then asks Joey when his contract's up. 
Out comes Sandman. Will wants to know if he's changed his mind. Sandman says that he won't, and out comes Scorpio. Scorpio calls her Nancy, faints to align with her before saying that this bitch is out of here. This is basically the same angle we ran in January. Scorpio takes to the outside, into the street, across the road, into the back of a car before saying, take that bitch to Atlanta. The car speeds off in the snow. The segment continues. This time it's Ray, it's Stevie Richards and the Blue Mania in the ring. Richards says Raven is giving Samman the opportunity to back out of the championship match. Samman says he has never backed down from a fight in his life. Richards says if Samman doesn't, he will have to Stevie kick him. Blue Mini then offers Stevie kick him. The fans chant, you fat fuck. Mini does some martial arts tile lunging, then does an awful attempt at super kicking Sandman, who responds by leathering him with a cane. Sandman says to Richards, you tell Raven I'm coming back for my belt, bitch. Richards pleads with Joe to think of an answer to tell Raven. We don't have to find out long, and Raven is out with Kimona Awanalea. Raven calls Richards a moron, says he's going to give him a fat, he gave him a fat piece, his lackey, and he gets the crap kicked out of him. He then wants to know why Richards couldn't handle giving Beulah her one pill a day. I love the idea that that was Richards' responsibility, but, but that's for another time. Uh, Richards says he has a big surprise. He starts searching Minnie's pockets, and after a bit too much fondling, he finds a sheet of paper he's looking for. He says that as of today, he's engaging in, quote, a legal lawsuit. What other kind is there? Uh, with Missy Hyatt for none other than sexual harassment. He says that dancing Stevie Richards was violated, molested, and touched in parts that he was quote-unquote afraid to wash six months ago. He then says it was some lawsuit from quote-unquote some fat lawyer from Scarsdale, New York, and not particularly well veiled reference to Paul Heyman's dad. Out comes Missy Hyatt. We're 20 minutes into this segment at this point. Raven then says he has an option to join with the champ. It ain't like you ain't been there before. Hyatt then calls Kimona a whore, says that Raven has a low sperm count. Raven goes after Hyatt. Salman returns with a cane and levels Richards, Raven and Meanie. Missy says Salman's career has been having some problems and he needs to be quote-unquote nurtured by Mama. She then takes a cigarette and starts smoking it. Uh, Wayne, welcome to ECW. What do you think of this? <laughs> there was so, so much to take in here. Uh, I just had to pause it after it all and just get my breath back. I was just, I, I just couldn't get over how, uh, uh, well, there was no action at all, but how much information I was trying to take in from, you know, as, as, as everyone probably knows now, I've, I've not watched a heck of a lot of this, so trying to get an understanding of each character uh, within within each segment that was all rolled into one was was just far too much to to take in. So uh, I'm, I'm expecting you know this happens quite a lot of the time. Um, so it's probably something that I've just got to get used to. Um, breaking breaking down each one. Um, you know I thought it was uh, I thought I thought the opener was 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 really good. I enjoyed obviously the interaction between uh, Mysterio and and and, and Taz. Um, I thought you know. Hats off to, to Mysterio for, for coming out and actually confronting Taz and, and having the balls to do so for, uh, for the size that he is and, you know, to, to see them to head up, square off the way they did. I'd, I'd be really intrigued to, um, to, to obviously what, see these guys in, in a full match. What, what, what do you think of this kind of opening segment, Wayne, in terms of this, you know, deluge of, uh, of information is probably one way of describing it. Was was it effective? Was it for someone who's not seen a lot? Was it the kind of thing you went, I like this style, I'd like to see more of it, or was it just confusing? It was it was too confusing. I mean, uh, you just running through it all, 
there was there was probably half of it that I, that I forgot, and it was only you just reminding me of uh, of some of the moments that that actually occurred. Um, you know, break them down, spread them out. Um, I just thought it was just, you know, it was unnecessary rolling it all into one the way it did. If one character stood out for you out of, out of the guys we saw, who, who made it to the end and went, that was the one who impressed me or or made me sit up? I, 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 like I said, I'd probably say Rey Mysterio did, in all honesty. The fact that he come out and, you know, Taz has been, uh, since he, you know, turned full-blown heel in, in um, November, um, he's been nothing but an absolute killer. Um, and for him to, you know, to, to come in and, and confront him the way he did, that was, uh, you know, I was, I was very impressed with him. But I'd probably say uh, I, I, I like the, um, the part with, with Woman as well. Um, although she's, you know, probably being sent back into uh, to Atlanta, I, I, I kind of enjoyed that that particular segment and, and the actual innuendos that that was occurring as uh, throughout it. Chris, what were your takeaways from this? It was missing one vital element. There was no Tommy Dreamer to, you know, encapsulate everything that is the top end of stories of ECW. Um, thankfully for Wayne, this isn't normally the amount that you get in one hit with ECW storylines. Although ECW... I would recommend watching the final Hardcore TV from January if you'd like a a trip would be how I would describe that. That That is a that is a deluge of clips over the course of 45 minutes. But yeah, this, this isn't something they do every week, certainly. Say, the, the level of story is, but it's not normally in a one 20-minute lump. Um... As you say, it's pretty much standard ECW storyline fodder. Um, you know, we've got rid of someone, which is great. You know, we've got rid of Miss uh, Woman. That's Woman now out of the picture. We now know why Missy and Sandman will be together. Raven basically makes his lackeys look like lackeys. And they're back in their place. And Sandman slaps people around with a cane. Everything you want from ECW stories. Yeah, um, I, I thought this was really good. It's not the kind of thing you can do that often. Um, it's, you know, I suspect also, and, it, and what, one of the reasons, you know, with uh, with Chris last month and Wayne this month, I'm trying to kind of bring people into the ECW thing, is that I think if we have too few a group of us doing it, we can kind of get lost in this cocoon of, you know, we know, we understand everything about ECW, so it's nice to get some form of kind of quite, quite outside of perspective. I think for, for fans who know what they're looking at, like me, Chris, like you as well, I think it's really good. Um, it's one of those, it's like a soap opera almost. It's, and one thing ECW are quite good at, we see it in some shows more than others, is they're very good at transitioning between one thing and another. The amount of times, and it's certainly easier done watching these live events rather than necessarily watching the TV. But watching these live events, you'll see one match pivot into another by a form of like some guys will run out and then their opponents will come out and the next match will just start. They're very good at, well, good's maybe not the wrong word because you can, it, it's not necessarily a great thing, but in terms of that's the kind of style they want to promote. It, it, it's a flow. Yeah. Yeah. ECW has. Flow, flow is certainly the right word. You won't yeah. get it and you don't get that in WCW or in WWF. You don't get that sort of flow that it's a continuous show that rolls into each thing. Unlike with WWF and WCW, it's match one, segment one, match two, segment two. This is an, it, it's basically played out as a couple of acts. I reckon there probably is an intermission during it, but you know, act one 
is pre-intermission, Act 2 is post-intermission, and all of which can all flow into each other. Yeah, and it's... As I, say, I, I don't want to do this very often, partly just to save my voice. That is not an easy thing to read out. Um, but also just, I think it would quickly lose its effectiveness. But every now and then, and you know, it's, it, it, you know, it, you can do this at live events, but I won't put it on TV all that frequently. Um, but they got so many guys, you know, they developed so many different storylines and it kind of reminded you. And I think I, I would agree that when you talk about WWF or WCW, one thing you often find is that Guy A is with a program with Guy B, and that exists in its own little universe, its own little packet on TV. You watch Saturday night, and they'll have like segment five will we'll develop this program, and then they'll just disappear. And they're all kind of interchangeable. And there's no real, there's no real emphasis that there's something bubbling under underneath, or it's a bit more organic. You look at this, and you get all these guys interacting with each other and, and organically flowing between one another. It feels a lot more realistic, a lot more. Like like a soap opera rather than like a sporting event, you know, and and not that there's you, know, you can present something like a sporting event if you want, but it's not like WCW or the WWF particularly do that. But it's like if you're going to go for this more cartoony entertainment style, having this kind of believability about these characters and how they interact does make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, big fan of it. I think Steve Richards is great. Um, he's grown on me a lot in the last year or so. I remember about a year ago I was having these debates asking the question, is he just this bad or is he so good at the character that it comes across that well? I think we've, we've been here a year. We can say for a fact that he is just that good. Um, and he is that good at playing this kind of character. Um, really good segment. I wouldn't do it very often, but. You know, I think as a, as, as a, a once every couple of months thing, a lot of fun. Anyway, we will move on. We get highlights from the show showing people what they can buy uh, from a show. Sorry, showing people what they can buy on ECW Home Video. The squat team from the Royal Rumble with a match with an impressive moonsault. We also see Sandman bouncing off the table. The ring covered in weapons with Sandman and Scorpio teaming up against the gangsters. We get Dreamer and Douglas against Raven and Richards. Beard and Dreamer are getting close. Richards dons the Razor Ramon luminous yellow shirt and a toothpick. He then flicks the toothpick at Douglas's face. Later in the match, Douglas has to fight off interference from Jack, then has to kick out after Raven blindsides him. Out comes Sandman, who levels everyone with a cane, including the ref. Blimey, he's over with his crowd. This match, Ian by ECW Sanders, is an absolute mess. Dreamer eventually levels Richards with a frying pan and wins the match. We end the show with Taz beating the shit out of the shark attack kid. Bill Alfonso is still great. Taz calls out 911. His music plays and out comes Todd Gordon. He says 911 doesn't want to wrestle him. He's left the building. Alfonso wants a fight with Gordon. Taz jumps to the outside. Alfonso slaps Gordon, but Gordon clotheslines him. Taz jumps in the ring and starts laying into Todd Gordon. And out comes Bam Bam Bigelow. Wayne, what do you think of this? Oh, this was great. Um, just, just seeing Bam Bam just coming out and like we've, uh, like we said in the, in the news before, you know, he's, he's obviously coming second this 911 spot. Uh, never really got to see any of, uh, of 911 at all, but, uh, just I can imagine him just being in this big man role and, and, and I think, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow had, had, had fit him really well and, and hopefully if, obviously if contract runs out and he stays with ECW, um, you know, I think, Paul Heyman will know what to do with this guy. Chris? Well, 911 was a choke slam artist, and that's about it. Uh, I can see a much better match between Bam Bam and Taz than Taz and 911 would ever would have. Um, also, 
is as for Bam Bam, this is probably a lot better than what was happening in WF for him, where, you know, after his big thing of WrestleMania a couple of years back, he's now nothing. You know, he he had the main event with Diesel, King of the Ring, and then that was it. So we might as well come here to BCW where he's going to get used as a dominant big man, even if at the end of it he does lose to Taz and, you know, it puts Taz over. It would be much better than what he's doing in WWF. Yeah. Um, Bam Bam had, you know, about six months after his big WrestleMania moment, had kind of run his course in WWF when, you know, we've we, we documented that story to death. Um, if WWF don't want to use him and WCW can't, ECW is a great home for him. Chris, I completely agree that um, as much as they were building the story with with, with Taz and 911, Bam Bam Bigelow is a huge upgrade. Um, 911 largely was used in that short, sharp role because he just didn't have the skills or the experience to play anything more developed than that. Bam Bam Bigelow, as we've seen, is capable of wrestling a very good match. Um, he's, I think also he's more believable. In 911 was certainly over, but Bam Bam Bigelow has that credibility factor with him that I think is gonna, gonna help kind of Taz and, and yeah, you know, it's worth saying we don't see Bam Bigelow for the rest of the month, so, um, at the moment that's all we've got to go on. Um, but yeah, if, if the aim is let's try and get Taz over with some, some bigger names, as figuratively, uh, physically bigger names, um, Bam Bam Bigelow's certainly one of those. And we will move on to ECW Cyber Slam. Wayne, if you can kick us off with the results. No problem. The Bad Crew, Doug and Rose, and Judge Dredd defeated Dino Sendoff, Donny Allen, and the Dirt Bike Kid. Spiro Greco defeated El Puerto Requino. Taz, with Bill Alfonso, defeated Joel Hartgood. Bubba Ray Dudley, with Big Dick Dudley, Dances with Dudley, Sangai Dudley, defeated Mr. Hughes. The Bruce Brothers, defeated the Headhunters. JT Smith defeated Axel Rotten. Francine and the Pitbulls defeated Stevie Richards and the Eliminators. Tuco Scorpio and Sabu fought to a time limit draw for the ECW Television Championship. Shane Douglas defeated Cactus Jack. Raven with Kimono Wanglana. Stevie Richards and the Blue Mina defeated the Sandman with Missy Hyatt for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. It's a good effort. I want a layer, but you know, we'll, we'll uh, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second guy in, uh, in as many months to walk into oh. that trap. Uh, Chris, what do you think of this show? It was a definite sort of mixed bag. Um, there was some really good matches on there, but at the same time, there was a lot of dross. Not the best from ECW. Fine. Yeah, I mean, just right before the uh, the Pillman segment, I was really thinking that I was cursed with with this show because I did not I was not enjoying it one bit, um, and then we had that and you know perked up a bit, and then you know was brought down with a couple of other matches. But you know there were certainly some other matches uh, to, to close uh, well near the end of the show, which uh, which brought it round again. Um, you know it, it could have been I can imagine it could have been a lot better. Uh, and obviously going with what Chris says, you know it probably wasn't one of the greatest efforts out there. 
Yeah, um, I thought this was a good show. Um, I think Paul Heyman, I think, was quoted in the Pro Wrestling Torch to saying he was kind of very happy with the show, not necessarily to say that it was the best, and I, I don't think he or I would say this was as good as November to remember three or four months ago, um, but more in the sense that happy in that they had what you probably call their usual crew, um, November to remember had, you know, Steve Austin on the card, it had Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, uh, amongst other things. Terry Funk was on that show too. They had a lot of guys that aren't all that regular within ECW, so there's a lot of things that can, can help up the batting average of that show. This was an ECW crew putting on what I think was a very balanced show. Um, Two Cold Scorpio and Sabu is an absolute barn burner. Um, and the Brian Pillman segment is something to behold, and, and we will come to that in a minute. Uh, what I'm going to do, first three matches aren't really anything of note, so I'm just going to rattle through those three, and then I'll, I'll ask the general comments from Chris and Wayne, and then we'll, we'll tackle the rest of the show match by match. But we'll start. It's Bad Crew and Dread versus the Dirt Bike Kid, Devious Donny Allen and Dino Sendoff. A large six-man brawl. The fans are booing all six of them. Donny Allen takes a Tiger Driver from one of the members of the Bad Crew. Dread drops the Dirt Bike Kid throat first across the top rope. Bad Crew hit a double-team clothesline on Dino Sendoff and they win the match. The crowd is booing everyone here. After the match, Sandman comes out swinging a cane and the crowd go absolutely mental. Uh, huge Sandman, Sandman and chant breaks out. We'll come to that in a minute. Next up, it's El Puerto Ricanu against Spiro Greco, another debutant here in, uh, in Greco. Greco starts with a side headlock into a hammerlock. The crowd chant, you both suck dick. Greco hits an awkward looking knee lift. The crowd boo. Greco hits a nice looking flying shoulder tackle. More, we- more weak looking offense, more boos. A small section of fans start chanting, who are you? Who are you? Greco then uh, chokes Ricanio by the ropes, then another shoulder tackle, more booze. Greco hits a lovely side powerbomb, and that's enough to end that one. Third up, it's Taz with Bill Alfonso against Joel Hartgood. Fans chant, Taz is going to kill you. Stars cause Taz a one-man crime spree, which seems quite appropriate. Taz nails Hartgood with a clothesline, then Domi's a leapfrog for hitting a lovely belly-to-belly suplex. Hartgood attempts sunset flip, gets caught in a half Nelson belly to belly belly to back suplex, landing seemingly on his neck. Taz mission, and this one is all over. Taz calls Hartgood just another victim. Victim. Damage control come out to stretch a Hartgood out. Taz flips Hartgood off the stretcher. The jobbers from the empty match come out and each take a brutal belly to back suplex. Mikey Whitbread comes out, slides through Taz's legs, levels Alfonso, then goes after Taz, carrying a powerball into a Frankie Mikey. He jumps uh, from the top. Taz catches him into a belly to belly suplex for locking in a Taz mission. Chris, thoughts on any of the above? Well, the first two is 10 minutes I will never get back in my life. Um, at least Sandman came to people. It was um, worth it for that pop. It was worth it for that pop when he came out. And I think. Taz kills jobbers. That That's going to be his new role, is Taz is going to kill jobbers. Why? I've just got... Match that puts Sandman over, match that the crowd go over, and then a match that puts Taz over. And that's probably all you're going to get from it for three of them, because they were... Terrible. In South Philadelphia, along with hundreds of fans from all over the country and all over the world who converged here in South Philadelphia for the ECW Internet Convention. Tonight will be one of the most extreme 
stop wrestling with... Hey, wait a minute. Hey. Hey, this, this can't be our receipt. We didn't do this to anybody else on Monday night. Well, what... What the... Brian Pillman's 
Joe Stiles. Stiles says the fans are gathered here as part of the internet convention, which gets some booze. The lights go out, they come back on, and it's Brian motherfucking Pillman. A fan in the front row has a sign saying, Pillman, don't work me. The crowd go nuts chanting, Pillman, 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 and Bischoff takes it up the ass, do-da, do-da. There we go. Uh, Pillman says there is an announcer in Atlanta, Georgia, that took away his constitutional rights. He has been fired by Eric Bischoff, Bischoff, or should he say Jerkoff, you can't take his constitutional rights because he's in Philadelphia. You are a piece of fucking shit. Stars wants to go for a break, but Pillman says he's running this interview because he's Brian fucking Pillman. Eric Bischoff and each and every one of these motherfucking smart marks roll up into one. A mark is a guy that believes OJ didn't do it. Pillman then says he's going to take out his Johnson and piss in this hellhole. Out come Todd Gordon and Paul Heyman. This wasn't part of the deal, they say, and Shane Douglas. He doesn't give a fuck about you, Booker man. Security comes out. Pillman pouts his hand behind his, puts his hand behind his back and shakes to be cuffed. Heyman says, fuck you, repeatedly, and Pillman gets escorted out of the building. Pillman gets into an argument with a fan. The fan takes a swing and Pillman drags him into the ring. This is a plan, obviously. Pillman goes to attack the fan with a fork. Douglas charges back out and helps run him off. Douglas says, security, either you throw that blonde piece of shit out or I'll beat his fucking ass tonight. Douglas isn't letting the show go on until Pillman is out the door. We've got a sit-in. Security then drag Pillman from one side of the building right across the other. That means taking him via the ring and through the crowd. Wayne, talk us through this. Oh, this this was great. Um, I think we could be as early as February watching segment of the year because uh, just the shock and of seeing Pillman to, to start off and and then him swearing blind to um you know swearing with the f word which i know we saw it with taz but just watching a wrestling show and and and, and seeing this kind of language from uh from someone's promo was uh you know i was really taken aback by it um uh as i said i absolutely loved it until the part when he started stabbing the guy with a fork i felt quite uneasy by that i know obviously it's it's an extreme show and you know anything goes and it's quite violent but to you know to see whether it be a plant or not to see someone get stabbed by with, with a fork is i just yeah I, I, like i said i felt quite uneasy by it um apart from that it, everything was 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 fantastic about it even the part when it just felt felt so real when Heyman and, and Gordon and Shane Douglas was coming in and and you could hear Shane Douglas saying you know he's shooting he's shooting and it just everything about it just felt felt real and and quite different to, to what we've seen elsewhere on on you know other promotions. Why did it make up for the opening three matches? 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, with, with, without doubt. As uh, if if we just started with this, you know, I probably would have, uh, I, I probably would have give this, uh, you know, this show an air start if we just forgot those three matches to start off with. Chris, seeing the fact at the time, and it wasn't until uh, obviously reading the notes for the news that I knew that the guy was a plant. This was even. Ex- Extreme for extreme championship wrestling. Pillman literally had no filter and said exactly what he wanted to in the form that he wanted to, which is all good for me. Anytime that people are dropping F-bombs like for fun, I'm good with that. Um, obviously when he spat at the fan and then swung at him, I was like, that's a little bit extreme. That's, that's going a little bit too far. And especially the way that Heyman, Gordon, and Shane Douglas were selling it with he's shooting, he's shooting, this motherfucker, all the rest. It, knowing, no, knowing that was a work that is so, so well done that for someone that's seen most of ECW since the beginning, it convinced me that, that there could have been some real, real reality in that and it wasn't just a, jo- a work. Yeah, um, you know, in WCW, if you want to quote unquote work your fans, you have Brian Pillman say the word, I respect you, book a man, and then you just have him walk out on the match. In ECW, if you want to work the fans, you've got to good dial it up about ten times. So you come out, he swears, you know, we, we, you know, he calls the fans smart marks, the guy in the front row saying, don't work me, Brian. Um, yeah, they tried really, really hard. Um, knowing it's a work, it was, I, I think they went about it the best way they could. Um, you know, the only way to even try and work these fans is to make it look as believable as possible. And everything looks as believable as possible, you know, right up until Gordon, Douglas and Heyman, which isn't a trio we, you know, isn't a trio that's aligned on ECW TV, isn't even particularly a trio you imagine unless you know that they, that's the thing. You only know that they work there if you are one of those quote-unquote smart marks. So it, it works on a number of levels. Delivery was great. I, you know, I, I think we're going to have the discussion more on the WCW part, whether, you know, how effective this is going to be. I, Chris, I, I like what he's doing, and he's certainly a lot more noteworthy than he was a year ago when you could go entire weeks without seeing him on WCW television and you'd be forgiven for getting he was there. I'm struggling to work out how this turns into money for either him, for ECW, or for WCW, Chris. I also don't know what the end game or where they're going with it is. Because um, the way the character is, he is this loose cannon, this liability that will do anything and everything basically because he fucking wants to and not do as he's told that doesn't work in structured reality that wrestling is with storylines you know you need person a to do the role that you've told him to so person b c and d can feed off it and thus making your overarching story if he's not going to play then it throws everything out but you can't have an end game where you get the payoff if you don't know what he's going to be doing from week to week. 
Yeah, I, I said this on <clears throat> on the WCW part, I think it was last month, just about, I don't know whether all of these histrionics are were trying so hard, they're actually causing him damage in the sense that his character is far more interesting, but his ability to uh, put on great matches has been severely diminished. And I don't know what the end game is here. I th- it's kind of like from an ECW perspective and, and you know the whole thing's a work so you know they have to present it like this but from an ECW perspective Brian Pillman comes in he's going to draw anyway we saw him he was in the company 18 months ago admittedly for a one shot deal you bring Brian Pillman he's going to draw regardless from WCW like you do all this like insider stuff does 95% of you Wayne does 95% of your audience just not know what's going on yeah, obviously it could be quite confusing for, for a lot of people. Um, probably me included in all honesty. Uh, as I said, this, I just, I, yeah, the, the, the end game of it all, I just, I, I can't see where the, where the winner is from it. No, uh, I guess we will wait and see. He, he did appear on, on an episode of Hardcore TV after this, but only in a minor angle. I think it's, it's difficult in the sense that, from a WCW perspective and from an ECW perspective for a lesser degree, the more real you try and make this, the more as a fan you cry and go, well, why are you letting him in the building? Like there's that, always that balance to strike in that if he is such a pain in the arse, such a, such a count, if he's countering what you're trying to do so much, then just don't pay him. Um, there's always that balance that they've got to look to strike. But I, you know, we, we shouldn't judge a movie by the first 15 minutes. Uh, we'll discuss, well, we haven't taped it yet. We would have discussed in the WCW part more about their side of things. But from an ECW point of view, I will give them a big thumbs up for this segment and a let's wait and see where they go next. Anyway, we will go next. Uh, Mr. Fuse uh, goes after Bob, uh, Bob Ray Dudley. Big Dick hits him with a crutch. Bob Ray flops off the top rope, and that's the end of that. That was a match, but it's so short. I'm just going to move on. Uh, out next is Mustafa. New Jack has been incarcerated, apparently. Mustafa says he's in a bit of a ruckus. Mustafa seems to imply he's going to take this one on alone. Damien Kane comes out with Lady Alexandra. Kane offers Mustafa a job. Mustafa says he needs a job, all right, and he looks over at Lady Alexandra and says, "I need a hand job." There we go. There's our there, there's our box tick for the month on, on the ECW woman front. Uh, Kane says he can't help those boys are criminals. Mustafa goes after Kane, throwing him into the guardrail, and here are the headhunters. Mustafa takes the superplex, then a huge uh, splash on each of the headhunters. Mustafa leaves. Kane grabs the mic and asks if there's any tag team in ECW man enough to take on the headhunters. Out come the Bruise Brothers, a.k.a. the Blue Brothers, a.k.a. Jake and Eli Blue from WWF, a.k.a. Ron and Don Harris. Uh, You would have seen them in ECW in 1994. If you're looking really, really closely, you'll see them on an episode of WCW Saturday night that year as well. Uh, They lost to Sting and Hulk Hogan, I think. Uh, Both sets of teams brawl around the ring. Each of them are identical twins, so forgive the lack of description because they just they both look the same. Styles calls this fantastic, which, which is pushing it a bit. Uh, Harris number one takes a chair shot from headhunter number one. Harris number two and headhunter number two go deep into the crowd. Then uh, headhunters take over with chairs. The Bruise Brothers fight back. Two of them end up in the ring. A headhunter hits a Harris with a scoop slam. Headhunter one hits a moonsault. Harris two hits a big kick, and Harris's two Harris two's pin gets counted for the win despite one of the headhunters having the other Harris brother in a pinfall at the same time. The Harris brothers had been to win the match. 
that probably didn't make sense over audio. I suspect it made just as little sense watching it. Uh, Chris, what do you think? It was our walking brawl for the evening. Um, the Bruise Brothers, or whatever they're going by here, seem fairly decent. But the SWAT team slash headhunters, I would, could never see them again and be quite happy. They are so restricted in the movement because of how big they are. Other than the fact they do a superplex and a splash, they are pretty pointless. Um, but, you know, we have to have our walking brawls because it's ECW. It's, you know, the box ticked. Why? I was hoping... Royal Rumble 96 would have been the first and last time I ever saw the uh, the SWAT team or um, Headhunters, uh, but clearly not. Um, this Unfortunately, this match was a bit tainted because as I was watching it, all I could uh, hear in, in my mind was, was Vince McMahon doing corner commentaries, uh, getting the guys mixed up and... Um, and as I said, it, it tainted it a little. It's, uh, it's probably his dream match, in all honesty, with... Uh, big guys and, and twins and, and messing up on commentary. But uh, I, I couldn't keep up with it. It's, uh, obviously, with all the action that was outside, um, as soon as they brought it into the ring, it was it was over, and I was like, oh, right, OK. Yeah. Um, firstly, on Mustafa, um, it looks like they might be turning the gangster's face as much as you can turn the gangster's face, as we've seen before, when they've been a gangster light, they generally just fill in with someone else. Here they let him just get the piss beaten out of him two on one. I don't think that would be a bad move if the gangsters became faces as much as you can be, be faces in, in ECW. Um, the Bruce Brothers was a, was a nice return. They were never that big a deal in 1994, but, uh, you know, they were never that big a deal in the WWF to the point where they come back as this big martyr in the same way or in the way that say Sabu did after his running in WCW or something like that um but I thought the angle I thought the match was good yes it was hard to follow um but you know two new tag teams effectively in ECW their tag team division is ludicrously strong right now when you consider their resources I, I'd actually uh, make a point Chris do you agree with this that their tag team is, is in a lot of ways perhaps their strongest asset it's, it's definitely getting there with obviously some of these new guys coming in and the fact that you can quite easily put people together and make tag teams in here that this is definitely sort of going to be the way forward for them we're out next with Joey Styles. He invites out Tommy Dreamer and Beulah McGillicutty. Soon after, follow Raven, Richards, Meadie and Kimona on a layer. Raven says Dreamer will be punished. He says, get my girlfriend out of there with her demon spawn. Dreamer, prepare to die. Dreamer's now flanked by the Harris brothers, who's got his back. Well, they have until the Harris brothers turn on him. Uh, the crotch one post, and Dreamer basically gets beaten up for the sake of selling the shoulder. Chris, quick thoughts on this as, as a way of uh, writing off Dreamer for some... Um, work on an injured shoulder um, effective enough without being significant? Yeah, you know, seeing him getting a, a hiding works. You know, obviously, all these guys are all part of Raven's flock. It ju it makes Raven better for being, you know, this evil, manipulative cult leader that he is becoming. And his flankies beat the shit out of the person he hates the most. And another tag team joined Raven's flock. In in my notes, I had yes, that's that's every tag team is now in Raven's flock. I think 
Uh, it feels like it anyway. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think in the event that they wanted to make Dreamer look, uh, wanted to get Dreamer out of there without making him look too weak, that made sense. Um, the Harris brothers turn again. It's not like ECW in the sense that, you know, it's not that we have a traditional dividing line. I probably could have done without that in all honesty. Um, I think there are ways of doing it without just needlessly turning the Harris brothers for the sake of it. Um, but, but that's the, sorry, the Harris brothers, bruised brothers, um, you know, in Roland Don Harris. Um, yeah, they were in the match a couple of minutes ago. We move on to JT Smith against Axel Rotten. Smith blindsides Rotten during his entrance. Rotten whips him into the guardrail, then hits him hard over the head with a chair and a beer can before choking him with some rope. Rotten breaks a glass or cup over JT's head. JT grabs a chair and hits Axel with it before DDTing him onto the concrete floor. We're finally in the ring. Rotten body drops him, then levels him with a clothesline. JT levels Rotten with a kick, then a crossbody to the down Rotten from the second rope. Smith grabs a chair and goes to the top rope. JT's hit a moonsault with it, falls off. Rotten looks confused. Smith pops up, levels him with a chair and picks up the win. After the match, Smith spits on Rotten before going to the top and hitting a moonsault with a chair onto Rotten. The crowd sounded their appreciation for that. Out comes Hackmar to stop the attack. Smith, uh, uh, Smith leads him on and leathers him with a pair of rights. Myers fires back to get some shard chance from the crowd. Wayne, quick thoughts on this? Yes, um, I thought it was the closest we've, we've had to a match all night. Uh, I was a bit confused by the finish. I'm not quite sure if that was meant to happen, but, uh, well, in fact, I, I think it was meant to happen, wasn't it? it was, yeah, uh, so, Smith's so gimmick is that he has got, um, you know, got some coordination and some brain issues, something from a, um, uh, from a, I think a, it's either a storyline box or a legitimate box from a while back. Um, but yeah, that, that's not the first time he's gone to do a big move and effed it up. I think part of the point now is that they're trying to say that he's intentionally messing up to try and trick his opponent, i.e. how they finish this match here. I kind of get the feeling a lot of people are like, eh, I don't really care. That was, that was the impression I got. So can you answer this then? If his gimmick was, that, uh, you know, some brain damage or whatever, and, and now he's uh, uncoordinated by it. Is he thinking that he's Italian? Is that part of it? <sighs> I'd have to go back and watch early ECW stuff to remember what the early JT Smith was like. I mean, talking about a guy that, you know, back in 1993 wrestled in a scaffold match in the ECW arena and planted about 15 feet, and that's, that's a horrendous bump if you can find that. Um, but yeah. Um, I, no comment. I can't remember. Is the right, that, 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 that's all I got at, at the start. Obviously, not seen this guy before. He's 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 trying to make out that he's he's only just found out he's Italian or something like that. That's what I got from it. And with you mentioning that about the uh, uh, you know about him falling and 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 subsequent damages he's probably got from it, then I, I didn't know whether that was tying in together. But I, I suppose that's all by the by, really. Chris. It's your traditional sort of JT Smith match where, you know, he does his fuck up and then wins. Um, it, it's getting a bit old now. But yeah, um, it's, it's just all a bit bleh. Like, I, I, I don't know, like, I, I kind of feel like all three of them deserve more, Hackmeyer's included, 
um jt smith it's it jt smith is a live event character we don't see him on tv all that frequently and i think there's a good reason why um yeah match was match was what it was uh ending was a bit confusing i, I dare i say i think between the arena wide brawl we had and the match we're about to review i think that may have just been let's put something on uh to call people down in the middle uh we move on it's super stevie richards and the eliminators perry saturn and cronus versus the pitbull and francine uh in a six person um dog collar match francine takes off her gown to reveal she's wearing well not all that much the crowd pop for that um pitbull one is tied to cronus pitbull two with saturn and francine with stevie the fans chant she's hardcore francine gets in richard's face richard super kicks over one of his lovely super kicks he detaches his dog collar so we're effectively three on two for now Cronus and Pitbull 1 into the guardrail ironically Pitbull 1 and 2 are numbered despite the fact that of all the tag teams on this show they aren't identical I think that's that's of note if nothing else uh, Richards ties up Pitbull 2 in the ropes Cronus hits a superplex onto Pitbull 1 Saturn hits a splash Richards starts slapping Pitbull 2 then kicks him in the groin Richards hits a super kick to the back of Pitbull 1's head then one to Pitbull 2's kidneys and then another to Pitbull 1 Pitbull 1 hits Cronus with a chair shot to the head. Pitbull 2 hits Saturn with a cookie sheet. Saturn returns the failure with a steel chair. We enter the crowd. Cronus, Pitbull 1 and Richards ends up by the eagle's nest. Some fans chant, I can't see, I can't see. Pitbull 2 rattles a chair across Cronus's head. Pitbull 1 and Cronus end up on the camera area. Saturn uses Cronus as a launching pad off the camera area, doing a moonsault to Pitbull 2 below. Pitbull 2 does a suplex through a table to Cronus right next to the hard camera. Back in the ring, Stevie has a frying pan over Francine, uh, but Pitbull 1 intervenes. Pitbull 1 then hits Hurricane Rana to Cronus from the top. Richards breaks it up with a frying pan shot. Cronus drops a leg but pulls out of the pin. Fans chant, we want blood. We're not going to get any tonight. Both eliminators hit a powerball on the Pitbulls. The eliminators pick up Francine, set for the total elimination. Pitbull 1 takes her down with, uh, takes her out of harm's way with a shoulder tackle. The Pitbulls hit a big Super Bowl on both members of the team, then gesture towards Stevie. Pitbull 2 does a reverse suplex, putting Richards dangling on Pitbull 1's shoulders on the top turnbuckle, who flies off the top with a powerbomb, and Pitbull 2 simultaneously gives him a neckbreaker. In the carnage, Francine crawls over and pins Richards. The Eliminators turn their attention to Francine after the match. Her tag partners delay the inevitable, but each eat a total elimination of their own before Francine takes 1-2. Chris... I am absolutely loving the Eliminators. Um, they are just so fucking brutal. Um, and the, how simple of an idea and concept total elimination is as a move. You know, it's ba- it's you know high low kick combo. It is so so brutal, and it sort of crushes people when they do it. It's a rare move that actually, when you break it down, is fairly simple. Like it's it's a hot it's a, a spinning wheel kick from the guy on the front to the head. It's a kind of calf kick from the guy on the back, and the person taking it is only really taking a fairly bog standard back bump. Now, okay, I think the the effectiveness is in the speed, and you know Francine has taken this move more than once, and each time she makes it look like a million bucks. But in terms of if we're going to talk about move, danger value of moves, say in the lucha match that we reviewed at the top of the show. This move is probably more over than most of the stuff they did there, in part because that we've seen it a few times, but in part because it looks so good. But it's it's not the most dangerous. You're right. It's to me, it is a inferior sort of straight, simple sort of 
back bump, you know, it's just go down. But it's the way that it's done and it looks just brutal, which sort of makes it so awesome. Um, I can watch the pit bulls and the eliminators go at it every week. I, I would quite happily watch these two batter each other. Um, I can see there being probably coming forward some interesting stipulation type matches, maybe sort of, you know, bringing tables involved or things like that between these lot because it's not going to be one and done with these. And especially with the fact they keep knocking uh, Francine with the total elimination basically fuels that fire to keep them going. Um, I quite like the fact that Stevie was in them in this as well, because he's the smarmy little shit that would kick a woman in the face to get ahead of in a, in a match. Uh, and even though obviously the eliminators aren't really part of the flock with Raven, it makes sense for Stevie to be there because it's the sort of thing that he would do. Why? Yeah. Um, Obviously, not seeing a lot of ECW, but listening to, to you know to the to the monthly uh, shows, I do get a feel of of how ECW um, treat the women. And by God, that super kick to start this match off—I've never seen anything like it. I really thought he took bread off with it. It was it was just fierce. Um, His series super kick is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, I'm so impressed by it. Impressed by him as a, a as a character as well, but that super kick is I've, I don't I've, I'm not quite sure if I've if if I've seen a one connect as as, as well as uh, as well as as what he does. I, I'd uh, argue that his he is to super kicks to Shawn Michaels what Paul Roma is to top rope elbow drops to Randy Savage. Well, would be my comparison. Like that Paul Roma drop, elbow drop from a year ago is fantastic. I think I think Richards is is a good way ahead of Michaels. I think it helps because he's taller. Um, but yeah, he he's I think it's leg speed as much as anything. But it's it's phenomenal. And again, we talk about Francine, who is I don't know that she's trained in wrestling, but by Christ, like you take bumps like that, you're going to get people over very very quickly. Carol Wayne. Yeah, she's well, she's the sherry of VCW, isn't she? Um, the way that she she does set the bumps and like you say it it it, it does put people over because of it. Um, whether you know you want to come across as uh, as a uh, as a face like Tommy Dreamer has done in, in in the past, or or whether you know Smammy here like like Stevie Richards is. But um, uh, yeah, I've, I've got to. Apart from the start, I've you know I've got to disagree with with Chris a little bit. I, I probably would have. I didn't see the need of uh, of, of Francine and, and Stevie Richards being in this. If it was just a tag match between them two and, and the brawl that it was, um, I, I, I think the match would have been better suited for that. But that's that's just my opinion. I um I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. I think it's just more there's an expectation we're going to get a lot of different variations of this match, and adding them in was a way of doing a Pitbulls and Eliminators match that wasn't just another Pitbulls and Eliminators match. I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I think it's just more a case of if we're going to do this four or five times in the space of three or four months, let's add uh, an an element to match number two or whatever we're at at the moment. Um, I think I'm in complete agreement 
agree with Chris. I, I, I could watch these two wrestle every show. It's just four big, muscly dudes beating the piss out of each other. And Richards and Francine was like the perfect addition. Like I, I love the fact that whenever we get to any kind of program, Richards is the guy that gets paired with the woman. Like we got last year with, with Raven and, and Dreamer, Richards got paired with Luna. Of course he did. Um, and, and, and Richards is great because it, you know, he's, he can, as we saw with Sabu, I think it was last month, he can wrestle with the best of them, but he plays such an effective character. It doesn't feel out of place, Steve Richards, to be fighting a woman. His character is so smarmy and so, you know, Joe Styles calls him a putz. It's quite a good way of putting it. Uh, this match was really good. Um, you know, these two, these two teams are so physical. I love the finish. Uh, well, there, there's a bit of, stuff going on between the final move and Francine crawling over and pinning Richards. But the, the super power bomb neck breaker combo, I mean, it's, it looks like a move you could very easily get wrong because you've kind of got two guys, the two guys doing the move are kind of going in different directions, like one's going across and one's going down. And where necks are concerned, you perhaps don't want to do that. But when you can get that move right, looks pretty cool. You know, we talk about the total elimination uh, and the super bomb as well, which admittedly is a much safer version of the, the super bomb neck breaker combo. Um, big two thumbs up from me on this one and next up we move on to Sabu versus Two Cold Scorpio for the TV title be forewarned this is a incredibly long set of match notes Sabu dies in uh, in a four takedown Scorpio kicks him in the mouth Scorpio goes for a spin kick Sabu ducks and hits one of his own Sabu goes for a chair and hits a uh, flying leg drop vaulting off of it Sabu sends Scorpio into the fans while doing a vaulting somersault dive off the chair, clean over the top rope, clean over the barricade and onto Scorpio. Found sound their appreciation with ECW chants. Back in the ring, Sabu hits a slingshot late knee drop, then sets for a powerbomb. Scorpio slides out and hits one of his own. Scorpio hits a leg drop from the top. He then sets up the chair, hits a running ball drop, driving Sabu's face onto it. The pair exchange strikes. Scorpio goes for another bulldog, but Sabu counters it, planting Scorpio's face into the chair. Sabu sets the chair up mid-ring, vaults off of it, and then takes Scorpio's uh, clean over the top rope to the outside. Sabu smashes into the guardrail after landing. Sabu then hits a running somersault dive from the apron onto Scorpio. Out comes another chair. Sabu relieves, uh, relieves some significant, uh, sorry, Scorpio relieves some significant Sabu offense with a super kick for just running a steel chair into Sabu's head. Scorpio attacks in the corner, including a still ch- chop before hitting a splash into the opposite corner. Sadu- Sabu jumps out of the corner. Scorpio catches him by the legs, lifts him up, and Sabu rolls it through into a victory roll for a two. Sabu jumps out of the corner. No, we done that, sorry. Sabu locks in a camel clutch, then evolves into a chin lock. Scorpio bridges out of it before hitting Sabu with a big kick to the bollocks, which sends him scurrying to the outside. Scorpio does an apron suplex for a two before locking in a modified surfboard stretch in an almost rowing position. Sabu hits a lovely sing- slingshot somersault leg drop. Scorpio hits a scoop slam and a lovely high angle moonsault. Sabu gets the knees up then kicks out at two. Sabu throws a chair at Scorpio before hitting an Arabian face buster and split leg moonsault off the top. Scorpio sets for a tombstone pile drive but puts him in a pancake type manoeuvre instead. Sabu is selling his right knee. Scorpio hits a Vader bomb for a two before crotching Sabu on the bottom rope. Scorpio goes for a twisting splash, but Sabu moves. Sabu climbs to the second rope. Scorpio athletically hits a sunset flip for a two, and the crowd sound their appreciation. Sabu hits a victory roll off the top for a two. More applause. 
Sabu blocks a drop kick, throws Scorpio over the top, fires himself off the fire ropes, flies over a ducking referee, and it's a suicide dive to the outside. Sabu shoots for an armbar. Scorpio gets in the top position for some comfort. Scorpio goes for a fireman carry, sending Sabu over the top. Sabu grabs onto an arm and sends Scorpio with him. Sabu goes from a second rope moonsault to the outside, barely connecting with Scorpio, and he hits the guardrail hard with his legs. Sabu grabs the table, sets it up in the first three rows of the crowd, uh, of the crowd and lays Scorpio on top of it. He returns to the ring, sets up a chair, runs off of the far ropes, uses the chair as a lift, vaults off of the top rope, moonsaults, Scorpio, sorry, uh, flipped eyes, Scorpio moves, and Sabu goes flying through the vacant table. The crowd go nuts. Style simply says, oh my god, he's dead. As the pair return to the ring, the crowd start applauding. Scorpio goes for the cover and Sabu gets a foot on the rope. Scorpio sets for a powerbomb. Sabu cannot even hold his own weight. Scorpio goes for a powerbomb. Sabu counters it, sort of, before nearly landing on his neck. Sabu hits a moonsault from the second rope for a two. He then goes to the top, shapes for another, but Scorpio moves. Scorpio hits a powerbomb and hits a moonsault leg drop. Sabu somehow kicks out. That spot may have meant a lot more had Scorpio not been kicking people out of it himself for months. Scorpio hits a leg sweep, puts a chair on Sabu, climbs to the top, hits a leg drop, Sabu somehow kicks out. Sabu gets up, throws a chair at him, hits Hurricane Rana off the top, goes for a cover that Scorpio kicks out. There's only a couple of minutes remain, they say of the announce uh, over the uh, microphone. Scorpio then hits a Scorpio splash 450. Rather than pin him, he just starts laughing. Scorpio attempts a splash with a chair, he misses. Sabu hits a second rope leg drop with the chair on Scorpio's head, then a slingshot leg drop. Sabu appears to injure himself, eventually gets to the cover, but Scorpio kicks out and the bell sounds. The ECW fans stand and applaud both men's efforts. That match really was about four and a half minutes. Uh, Chris, if you can relieve me for a couple while I take a drink or two. Well, all I have to say is well done, Bob, for calling that. That was an absolute epic match um we've seen it a few times with ecw obviously last year where we just get absolute instant classics and to think that you could have one involving sabu um who pretty much has just been one of these guys that all he does is his same sort of few table spots does a few jumps around arabian face buster and that's about it where we've had this match where it's not uh, Scorpio just working around him. You know, Sabu has played his part in there to put on an absolute classic. Uh, that triple jump through the table flip, dear God, that looked like he actually had, you know, done himself a real damage. Sabu has pulled out some stuff that I've not seen him do before. The only, my only gripe I have with this match is that part when after uh, Scorpio hits the 450, why did he not go to pin him? That That's his big move, and he stands there laughing about it. But but he never pins them, Chris. I mean, I'm about to go off on a minute, but that's, that's for some reason, that's his gimmick, is that, no, I'm not going to beat him. Despite the fact that every time he doesn't win... Every next match he comes out, does the big move and doesn't pin someone. And one of my few criticisms of this match, and it was more criticism not of the match itself, but of the way they built Scorpio the last few months, is that Scorpio does the big kind of flip dive, leg drop, 
um, somersault, whatever you want to call it. Look, it's a, it's a great looking move in the sense it looks like he's, you know, it looks like he must do himself some serious damage when he actually lands in the splits position as a leg drop. But it looks really good. But every time he does it, he doesn't pin the guy. Mikey Whitbread, look at those matches from January. Mm. The problem is, is that when he did get a pin Sabu this time, and Sabu kicked out, the pop wasn't half as big as it should have been because people weren't expecting it to end the match. That was probably my biggest criticism of this match. I can see exactly what you say with that, that these big moments that Scorpio is known for don't finish fights. And if you don't expect him to ever win with it, there's not the payoff when he doesn't. And, you know, you've got that big moment of he kicked out at two and three quarters. Yep, they always do. You know, it, it does it does make it suffer a bit, especially with that sort of level of athleticism. Wayne? Um, for a spot fest, I really enjoyed it. Um, I know we've seen a bit of Sabu in WCW, but his matches have just been so short. I mean, we saw the one match with him and, uh, and Mr. JL on the... Uh, on, I can't remember which pay-per-view it was now. Um, to be fair, I actually enjoyed that match. But it was Halloween Havoc, I think, was it, it? Right, yeah. Yeah, I think it was, actually, yeah. And I know that you criticised it because it just seemed too rushed and, and too spot, spotty and, uh, and, 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 and too short because of it. And probably this match goes to show that, you know, Sabu can actually have a good match with, uh, um, you know, with all the, all the spots that he, uh, with all the crazy, um, Spots that he does in, 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 in the match. Um, you know, if you stretch it out and I wouldn't really call it pace because, you know, it was still as fast as probably what you're going to see. Um, apart from when he's having a breather, when he's going through, through the table. Um, you know, you, you can probably see that, you know, stretching it out. You, you can get a really good match out of, uh, out of Sabu. Um, it was good to see Scorpio as well because um, I've never really seen him on a on a singles run run before. I've only ever remember him being with uh, Marcus Bagwell in in the tag team in, in WCW. So it was good to see him and and some of the moves he was doing. I was uh, I was really impressed with and uh, I, you know I thought they, they you know they they really complemented each other in in a sense. Um, but I thought you know Joey Styles. Uh, uh, Said it perfectly for me with, uh, with, with his commentary saying, uh, we are completely nuts, um, and completely crazy. And I couldn't agree with him more, uh, after watching that because some of that stuff that Sabu was doing, when he hit the guardrail with his legs, I, I thought this guy's not getting back up again. And, and he did, he proved me wrong. And then when he did that dive and, and crashed through the, through the table over the guardrail, I, I thought if I was with Joey Styles. I thought he's he, he's done some serious damage to him, and uh, and hats off to him because he gets up and I really don't think he gets he probably gets paid uh, enough of of what he should do for uh, for the uh, for, for for obviously the matches he he puts on. Um, as I said, you know it was it was great for uh, for, for for what it was and, and the length it was and. Yeah, I mean, not knowing what you said, Bob, you know, I also thought exactly the same as Chris, that um, Scorpio's main move, the 450 splash, he's done it, and then not to pin him after it, I thought, well, we already know that there's not much length of of time left, and for him to just not even put a pin in, it just uh, took the shine off a little bit. But, yeah, big big thumbs up for me. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, um... 
I think it's safe to say Sabu's here for a good time, not for a long time, because uh, you ain't going to have a long career wrestling matches like this. I guarantee you that. Um, this was nuts. I mean, Sabu spent a lot of 1994 with people wrongly believing that he was the best wrestler in the world, and it seems like he's come back to ECW after a... Well, a short trip to WCW and a hiatus last year with a view that he's now actually going to try and prove people that he is the best wrestler in the world. Um, whether matches like this mean that or not, I don't know, but god damn, it's watchable. I mean, this, this was carnage. This was, you know, I mean, I think you can tell just in part by the length of the match notes that I went through there. So much stuff happened. Yes, it was a spot fest. Yes, there was a lack of selling probably at times. Um, they got there in the end, but you know, so many things happened. I mean, that, that flip dive, I mean, to, a triple jump is an interesting way of putting it, but it's not necessarily the worst. To fire yourself off of the far ropes, jump, vault off of the, uh, chair that you opened up in the ring, jump, you know, pivot off of the top rope and then just to do a, you know, a, a high angle sent on through the table. I thought the best part of that was one, the, the sound it made when he crashed through the, the vacant table on the outside. And two, how far he went between when he landed and where he stopped. The table must have slid about a meter. Um, and it just kind of, it kind of looked like a car crash almost. That like big impact and then the slide. Um, in many ways an amazing match with a ton of faults um but one of the best ecw matches i've seen just from a holy fuck what are we watching standpoint um and we talk about great ecw shows of the past having imports in this big match stuff i think one thing i've been really impressed by in the last few shows is they started to use some of their own guys in these big matches. Admittedly, it's all been against um, Sabu. Sabu's been one half of it. But we've seen Sabu's probably wrestled more in the three matches here than he did for a lot of 1994. I know, I suppose he did wrestle the, the hour-long match with, with Douglas and Funk. But a lot of Sabu matches in 94 were quite short. They were get your high spots in and then win the match. You know, he did very, very well longer than say 10 minutes um with his match against richards last month it was long it was probably half the probably half the length this one was he, he's beginning to show you know he can take part in these matches i don't know about this ring style though i mean you know to a point you know he wants it to be his calling card he's not the tallest guys in the uh, he's not the tallest wrestler in the world by any stretch he's got to have something he can hang his hat on fair enough um but yeah a crazy fucking match is the only way to describe it go out of your way to see it would be my advice i'm not saying it's the best match we're going to see this year but it's probably one of the most memorable and the fact we've done 15 minutes on it is probably a good indication of that uh and we will move on now to shane douglas against cactus jack in a suit. Uh, Douglas does a snap there using Jack's tie. Jack is wearing his Eric Bischoff vest on the back. It says, forgive me, Uncle Eric. Jack grabs a crutch and takes out Douglas. Douglas returns the favour, crotching catches uh, on the crutch and bouncing him up and down. Douglas goes to the top and it's a double axe handle to the outside. The fans chant, kick his ass, franchise, kick his ass. 
Douglas cra- grabs the microphone and says, Class dismissed, you piece of shit, to a fan for what your nice uh, leg whip. Fans then chat, Dean is dead. I should mention at this point, because I didn't have it in my, my title for the match, the referee for this match is Brian Hildebrand, who, who basically went up in, uh, through the same wrestling school uh, at the same time as uh, uh, Dominic Danucci scores, Douglas and Cactus Jack did. Um... Douglas then hits a suplex onto Cactus Jack on the guard rail before climbing to the top and hitting a top rope crossbody to Jack in the crowd. Impressive by Douglas's standards, I've got. Back in the ring, Douglas traps Jack's leg in a chair, then does a second rope splash onto it. Jack rallies with an arm and a boot. Fans chant Razor at Douglas while Jack drops the chair over his back. Jack attacks Douglas on the apron before working over the guard rail and working over his left knee. Jack unloads on Douglas with rights in the corner. He flops to the outside and falls over the table. Jack props up the table upside down on the guard rail and takes a run up and throws himself through it. Jack looks at the sky, spits in the air, catches it in his mouth and does his bang bang signal. Jack does a drop toe hold on the chair. Douglas barely kicks out. Jack then hits a pile driver using Doug's tr- only Douglas's trunks for grip, which looks very loose. Uh, Jack fires some rights with Douglas on his knees. Referee Brian Hildebrand puts some handcuffs on Douglas's hands. Douglas uh, nails Jack, then cuffs him. Jack can then do nothing, as he takes several chair shots to the head. I, I mean, a lot to the head, just with his hands tied behind his back. It's Douglas, twelve. Is I it twelve? Oh well, yeah. good, good job somebody was counting. Uh, <laughs> D- Douglas grabs the microphone. This is franchise. Troy Martin. Douglas tells Jack to give up. Jack actually calls for Vincent Mann before calling for Mikey. Douglas then locks in the figure four leg lock. Finally, out comes Mikey with a chair. He turns and levels Cactus with a chair, knocking Spark out, and Douglas wins the match by pin four. Chris, talk us through this. This was a return of form of Shane Douglas... This is very much Dean is dead. Um, there was violence, there was high spots, and then there was what what could only really be called, you know, an assault at the end. As I said, with the 12 chair shots just absolutely battering Cactus while he's handcuffed. But of all the chair shots, Mikey's was the sickest. He he really did put some stank on it because of that the sound that that last chair shot made and the way that Jack went down from it 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 was very much a, is this the end of Jack in ECW because if it is it's a good way to go out. What? Yeah, I mean I've got to say hats off to ECW because after sitting through. Um, some absolute diabolical squash matches and, and obviously that. No, they weren't that, but they were, they were short enough and insignificant enough where I don't think we can say they, they, you know, bottom loaded the show with shit. I think they were all pretty quick. Fair enough, I'll give you that one then. Um, but, uh, to sit through what I've, I've sat through, I've finally watched the match with a bit of storytelling. Um, I didn't think I'd, uh, I'd, I'd see any of it at all. And, 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 and then to, to, to obviously get what I've, uh, you know, to, to view what I've, what I watched was, uh, was quite good in that sense. The, you know, the fact that, uh, we all know that Cactus is, is off to WWF and, and he's, and he's anti-hardcore and, and Shane Douglas is, is there to, to beat the hardcore back into him was, um, you know, was quite a good dynamic, I thought. And, um, 
uh, I said the the chair shots of uh, of them all at the end were you know really really brutal and uh, I, I think it, you know the the end in itself has has done a really good job of, uh, of putting uh, Cactus really over before he does go to the WWF which I was quite surprised by because all it did to me was uh, was just make me look at it and think you know this guy just does not quit at all um, and and he didn't he was he was there to say I quit I quit and and he just wasn't uh, um, you know he, he just wasn't giving franchise what he wants and and then just at the end he was he, he just had to get knocked out by Mikey but uh, no I, I, I enjoyed it I wonder how far back you'd have to go to find a Shane Douglas match this compelling um, it might be two years um, it might be that triple threat I, I referenced in the Sabu match from from February 1994 um, I don't you know I can't think of any other so, you know, Douglas has been compelling as all fuck in the year following that on the microphone, but one of the things I've always said about Douglas is that as an in-ring act, he's a bit bleh at times. It certainly doesn't come anywhere near to the standing that you expect from a guy who can talk so well. One of the reasons I think he stumbled in the WWF was that he came with a big reputation. The promos, largely from his own doing, weren't very good, but he couldn't back it up in the ring. Um, okay, this match was a lot of smoke and mirrors, and to a point, a lot of catches chat matches are, you're not going to see technical masterpieces where he's concerned. Um, but this was compelling from bell to bell. I mean, so guys, you know, they know each other so well. They're both pros. Jack's a guy who's willing to, you know, clearly, if you're going to take 12 chair shots to the head, a lot of those look pretty brutal. If you're going to put your body on the line like that, it can always help. Um, a fantastic story. Um, and, and Chris, would you share the sentiment that, that, that Douglas hasn't been this compelling for a while? Other than obviously said on the mic in that last year before he went off to the WWF, um, his matches were lackluster. You know, his his talking was great, but his his matches did not make you sort of really care that much. So, it, I would say you sort of going back to that triple threat with uh, Sabu and Funk and. If he's now going to come back with this sort of level of piss and vinegar in, in, inside himself after how bad the WWF run went, I reckon we're in for some good times. No, I I, I completely agree. And we move on to the main event. It's Raven with Kimona Awanalea versus the Sandman. Uh, sorry, Raven with Awanalea, Richards and Mealy versus the Sandman with Missy Hyatt. The match starts at a pace of Raven flying to the outside to take the Sandman out before flinging him into the guardrail. Sandman quickly returns the favour. Sandman hits quite a nice stalling brain buster. He then hits a slingshot somersault for a two. Sandman then goes for a slingshot crossbody, which he almost messes up by catching his leg on the ropes. Uh, he then throws some chairs into the ring. Sandman mocks Raven's crucifix pose while sitting Raven on a chair. Meany provides a distraction on the apron. Raven DDTs Sandman onto the chair, but Missy distracts the ref and there's no pin. Sandman DDTs Raven onto the chair but Kimona comes into the ring and breaks it up the two women go at it referees lead the women to the back Sandman watches Stevie hits a Stevie kick onto Sandman but he kicks out Sandman goes for a roll up for a two then attempts to pick up the ref for a body slam but Raven takes the ref out Sandman goes to the top rope for the worst leg drop in wrestling for a two the ref then takes another bump as Sandman stumbles into a DDT Salman leathers Meany, Richards and the Bruise Brothers with a cane, but the Bruise Brothers hit a double-team slam. The ref comes too, but Salman still kicks out. 
Raven goes for a suplex and he plants Sandman on his head. They go to the top. Raven then does a form of drop toe hold off the top onto a chair, followed by DDT onto the chair for the three. The crowd chant bullshit. Meany makes a mistake of reviving Salmon with beer. Mean then levels him with some hard cane shots. They don't work and Salmon levels him with shots of his own, along with the Bruise Brothers. After many delays and the return of Missy Hyatt, Salmon gets a a drink, lights a cigarette, and that's how the show ends. Wayne, what do you think of this? I didn't like it. I thought it was too rushed, in all honesty. Um, Some of the some of the moveset of the Sandman is, uh, I mean, you know what you're going to get from the Sandman. I've, you know, I've heard the show enough now to, to go in with, uh, with, with, with my thoughts already in place with, with what this match is going to be like. But to see a leg drop like that off the top rope, it, it was, it was the worst leg drop I've ever seen in, in, in the name of wrestling. I've never seen anything like it. And then... It is, it is, te- it is truly a leg drop. Most people, when they do a leg drop or an elbow drop off the top turnbuckle, will jump. He just flops. Yeah. He, he just kind of, it's like, I, I'm not sure, imagine if you were kind of, you're on like a, a five meter diving board, say, and you were just trying to do a very simple kind of vertical drop into the water. You would kind of almost step out and then you'd push off and then you'd just fall straight down. That's kind of what Sandman does. He stands on the top and he just pushes off with his, his standing leg and just flops down. It's actually getting worse. I think he's getting, the more he tries it, the worse he gets. Cause I think now it's kind of part of his gimmick. But it is awful. It's, I think it's easily the worst move in wrestling. And I, and wait, me and you spent a year watching the Renegade try yep. drop kicks and all manner of stuff. I don't think anything was as bad as this. No, I mean, I don't know why he didn't put his hip out because the way that his right leg lands, as his left leg is is landing on the the other person, it's, he, he lands like a um, like a, a hurdler. In athletics, yeah, he lands with kind of one leg outstretched and the other one kind of tucked into his side. Uh, now, as a hurdling position, that's good, but as hurdle position, that's where you you jump over the hurdle and then you return to a running position. He lands like that, not good, not good at all. Carol, no, and 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 obviously that, and you know, I, I, I like Raven as a character, and uh, you know, his. Uh, uh, you know the, the the match he probably could put on. Um, you know, would, would, would be quite well. But him and the Sandman, I'm just I just wasn't feeling it at all. I mean, I could I could even feel sorry for Raven right at the end when when he tried to do the the brainbuster and you know Joey Styles called it a modified brainbuster. I don't think he was meant to be doing a modified brainbuster. I just don't think um, I, I, you know I think the Sandman was uh, you know was was sandbagging for him a little bit because he just couldn't even pick him up. Um, as I said, it was all rush. There was too many people involved um, with, you know, the, the Blue Meanie and, and, and Steve and everything like that. And, you know, I, I think the uh, I think the crowd called it as uh, as well as you could call it by calling it bullshit because uh, I thought for a title match uh, to, to end the show, that's that's all it was, was bullshit. Chris? I think ECW may need to go back to what they were doing a few years, uh, sort of at the back end of the first year of doing this. Where the main event isn't the title match. Um, the problem is, as we're always going to have, Sandman is shit. Sandman does very little, and what he does, he does badly. And now he's got over for the fact that he does very little badly, he's doing it even worse. It's really not in any way, shape, or form productive to make a, a good match. Um, 
Can I say that this is what the ECW fans deserve? Is there anything in that? In that you cheer Sandman as much as you do, you deserve this level of crap main event. Is there anything to that? The the problem with Sandman is the character of the Sandman who comes out drinking a beer, smoking a fag and hitting people with a cane is a character they get behind because he is the personification of them. They'd love to be drinking beer, smoking fags and smacking people upside heads with canes. He doesn't have the attributes to back it up. Um, which, you know, in a way, nor do probably half of the fans that are there that are cheering for him. But the reason he is that popular is that is the character. But we, we should have, you'd think that Heyman and all the other people there that are in power know that he's not good in the ring and he brings down everyone that he's in there with. The, the only thing that made this possible was the interference. The interference helped make the story because it covers up all the things that are bad about the Sandman. And we said it during his title run that he was always the least important thing in all of the that title run. And he brought the belt down. And again, he's he's in a match against Raven and bringing it down because he is just shit. Yeah, uh, this is... Some main event, I think after, are we going to say three very good matches in a row? Uh, we had Douglas and Jack, we had, uh, Scorpio and Sabu, and it was the Illuminati's actual, that. Three really good matches in the row. You, you kind of could have done with ending the show with Douglas and Jack, I think. I mean, it's just one of those things, it's like, there's just nothing to it. Like Raven and Sandman, if you think, is a, just, isn't a particularly good pairing, I don't think. It's kind of like, they're not similar, but they almost are. In, they're not similar in the sense that their strengths and weaknesses are both very different. And I, I would say they are, their similarity is that they're both more character-driven than in-ring-driven, which is a good thing because you can create this compelling character. The problem is, is the in-ring action is so bad. And I think 80% of that Sandman, and I think Raven is... The Raven character doesn't make any sense, particularly being a good wrestler. So I think we can we can forgive that inconsistency to a point. It just doesn't work. There's so much interference. Um, and when the ECW crowd are chatting bullshit, I think that sums it up. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's a shame. After three, I think, really good matches, all for very different reasons. A very disappointing finish. But it, we've kind of come to expect it. And as I say, if you're the ECW fans and you chant, you chant Saman's name and you cheer him and you pop as big as they did when he came out the top of the show... You kind of get what you deserve, kind of. Um, I, I, I would be reminiscent of doing this match much more often on these kind of shows. I know it's the main event. It's not main events traditionally. These ECW shows do not end up on television. That is the one thing I would say about it. So to a point, it's a live event. It's the end of a show. Let's have a brawl to finish. Let's have all these histrionics. I suppose there's that. It's just, it's just a weird way to finish a show. But, but that's just me. Anyway, when, uh, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of ten? Um, I'm probably going to sit on the fence with it and, and give it a five. Um, you know, I, I need to come into it at the start with with eyes wide open and tech ECW for for what it is and 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 you know the kind of matches that that you're going to get. Um, some really good matches in there. An absolute 
awesome uh, promo from, uh, from from Pillman. Um, so, but there were some matches that uh, just um, weighed on it a little bit. So, yeah, sit on the fence, five. Chris? I'll give it a six, but with the caveat that you turn it off after Jack and Shane. Um, obviously, the first, the first few matches disappear fairly quickly, which is okay. You've got that amazing Pillman segment. You know, the... The walking brawl is what it is. You then get, you know, Axel and JC Smith, which is what it is. You've got three really, really good matches. Turn it off there and you're not missing anything. I gave this a seven and a half. Um, there's a lot, you know, there's, there's a lot of very forgettable stuff. <clears throat> and I know, you know, if, you know, we, 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 I spent five seconds. There was a match between Mr. Hughes and Bob Ray Darling that was so short I didn't even bother to set it up. There's a lot of stuff here that, you know, if you look at the card, you might go, well, this card doesn't look very good. Um, but in terms of the proportion of what is insignificant takes up such a small amount of time, I don't think it's all that relevant. And then you look at the big matches, and I would, those three matches are really good all in their own way. If you like tag team wrestling, I think the Eliminators Pitbull six way was really, really good. Um, Sabu and Two Cold Scorpio, I think is must watch. It's, it's, it's not a great match because there's a lot of flaws with it, but it, it's a match that's very difficult to take your eyes off. Um, and then a incredibly compelling angle with Shane Douglas and Cactus Jack. And the Brian Pillman thing, there's a lot of like eight, nine out of ten segments in that bit, uh, really. Um, you know, that kind of thing. The Pillman stuff's great. Main event's a bit of a letdown, there's some stuff in the middle that's a bit flat. But no, seven and a half out of ten, as a as a live event goes, I think you you went away with your money's worth. Uh we will quickly finish with the Final two TVs of the month. Uh, February the 20th opens up with an innuendo-laden promo from the Sandman and Missy Hyatt, who is now called Mommy. We then see the... This, but it's your usual fare. Post-show, we, we end up covering matches that we've already seen. So the six-man tag from Cyberslam, then a rerun of the Pillman segment. We get a promo from Bill Alfonso, running Rey Mysterio and Bam Bam Bigelow down. Alfonso tells Bigelow he loves Vincent Man, but this isn't the WWF. We get a rerun of the Headhunters, Bruce Brothers match, along with highlights of the six-person dog collar match uh, as well. Uh, the six-man was the opener with the Sabu pop and all of that at the top. Uh, on to the 27th, Raven does a promo, franked by the Bruise Brothers. Kimona Iwanalea walks in, takes off her top, takes up her top, takes her top off, but she's facing away from the camera. We cut to fan cam footage from a live event with Shane Douglas against Raven, not in the ECW arena. Brian Pillman arrives at ringside holding a camera. Jerry Styles reckons he's wearing a press pass as well. As if you need a fucking press pass for an ECW event. Anyway, uh, Douglas and Pillman have to be separated by officials. We get a rerun of Axel Rotten versus JT Smith, foreseeing Shane Douglas against Cactus Jack and Taz against Joe Hartgood. We get a promo from Shane Douglas, who's back in front of the chalkboard. He says he, he, not Brian Pillman, is the personification of a loose cannon. He says he and Tommy Dreamer struck up a deal that the franchise would protect Dreamer, Beulah and the baby. That's why he turned his back on Dreamer when he was getting attacked. Dreamer says, no matter what happens to me, get my girl and my kid out there. Quote the Dreamer, never more. Extreme life. <laughs> Number one. 
Cactus Jack. Tell Prince I said hello. <laughs> Number two. The truth about a man named Pillman. <laughs> Brian Pillman, you've gone on national TV, be a billionaire, and claim that you're the loose cannon. <laughs> Let's look at number three. <laughs> the personification. Of a loose cannon. ECW fans listen close and listen good. The deal was that the franchise would protect Beulah and the baby no matter what. No matter what I witnessed, no matter what I saw. So that's the reason that I turned my back on Tommy Dreamer whenever he was getting beaten in the ring. Yes, that was the heart of the pact. That was the heart of the deal. It's a lesson in an extreme life. It's a lesson that's most hard learned. Don't believe me? Ask Tommy Dreamer himself. To a conclusion, this month's show, we have lost Chris due to a uh, technical issue, um, so I, I, I will sort of do his plugs in a bit. Uh, it would be remiss of me not to mention, um, obviously, in, in 2016, uh, the passing away of Axel Rotten. Uh, I review, I watched this show about two weeks before we ended up taping it, so I watched uh, the show and the Axel Rotten JT Smith match about 48 hours after the news of his passing had um had come to be and you know it's i don't i don't wish to trivialize 
uh, a man's death, certainly not uh, a man of such age, but it, the more that it happens, and you know, we had Hackmeyer's passing away last month as well, the more that it's another ECW name gone too soon, another guy that put his body on the line, it's just, it's just so, so sad. Um, and unfortunately, it's just that generation. And I think the scary thing is, is that we're probably going to get more of that as the next few years go on as, as this generation of guys who, who went through this era that we're about to cover. Um, the, the one thing you can say about the era that produced arguably the greatest North American running wrestling ever is that it had its casualties both at the time and, uh, and subsequently. Um, and ECW represents that probably as much as anything else. It was befitting not only of an in-ring star, but also of a personality of, of person. It was the kind of person that came through that wasn't naturally gifted, didn't have, you know, the body of a Lex Luger or the charisma of a Steve Austin. The, the, the Island of Misfit Toys very much fits this. And it's a, a group of people that are, you know, there's a lot of issues with drugs and I don't want to attribute those to any specific people, Axel, or otherwise with drugs, with alcohol, with, you know, painkillers and things like that. And it's just incredibly sad. It's one thing we're going to, unfortunately, we're going to have to deal with a lot. We've, we, we've done it before. Um, and Axel's just another name, a guy who, you know, from a from an attribute standpoint, if if this was WWE 2K16 and you were handing out numbers, he'd be one of the lowest. But he was a guy who went out in front of 1,200 people in the ECW arena, put his body on the line, and you know, put on a show. Um, and yeah, uh, Del Muir, who I'm hoping we're going to have back on next month. I haven't spoken to Del in in a couple of months, and unfortunately, it, it's a testimony to the whole thing that. The two times I've heard from Dell since probably since Christmas, uh, one was to send through a, a, an obituary on, on Hack Myers, and then about five weeks later was to send through an obituary on on Axel Rotten. Unfortunately, it's par for the course, but it's happening far too frequently. Uh, anyway, that's my my speech on uh, on Axel Rotten. I'd like to thank uh, Wayne Nithko for joining me on this month's show. Thank you, Wayne. Yeah, thanks again, Bob. Uh, Wayne, you are on Twitter. I am. That's Wayne L eighty four. Uh and to Chris Lacey, uh whose Skype died in the in the closing moments of that T V review. Um he's actually now trying to call me back. Uh, I'm gonna decline that. Um you can find him on Twitter at Lacey five 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 six six six. If you are on um if you want to listen to his podcast, Super Brawls, covering WCW from the inception, the early 1980s, back when it was NWA. I think they're up to early 1991 now, I think. Um, so they cover WCW pay-per-views, clashes. I know they're doing some uh, Japan shows as well and other things like that. So if you are interested in WCW podcasts, find Super Brawls on iTunes. Uh, I think it's on Podbean as well. Uh, and it's on Facebook and on Twitter at Super Brawls as well. Search from there if you want to find that uh, as for this month's show uh three volumes volume one is wcw looking at uh super brawl itself or clear enough uh we're going to be talking about the departure of brian pillman from there as well volume two is wcw looking at in your house six along with the rumored departures of razor ramon and diesel along with a preview of bret hart and Shawn michaels in the iron man match uh this has been volume three of the ec uh, volume three of the 1996 uh february podcast chris trying to call me again doesn't know I'm recording the uh, exit. Um, ECW uh, Volume 3 of the February 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. I've been Bob Bamba, and until next time, goodbye.